low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. Well, let's go ahead and lean in here. So really, we've broken this down into three areas and uh, really enjoyed some of the, the preparation discussions we've had around these topics and really thinking, okay, what is the essence of uh, what we're trying to address? And really the fact that, as you mentioned, prospecting has changed. I think we're kind of headed in this direction or we were headed in this direction anyway in terms of more virtual and more hybrid and leveraging technology but i think that got accelerated over the last couple of years and created some unique challenges uh, so we'll talk about what it looks like today how to create a playbook uh, that can address that then how to train on that playbook and some of the best practices around uh, collaborative learning and and training implementation and then specifically you know, it doesn't matter unless we can apply it. So how do we apply that in the real world? And what are some of the things we can do to support our sellers out there to actually execute on that playbook? Uh, so that's really where we're headed uh, with today's discussion. But what we want, would like to do just to get things kicked off is to hear from the audience and just have uh, our audience chime in and love to hear about what some of the prospecting challenges your team is encountering this year. So you know, given maybe some of the changes, uh, some some buyers are back in the office, some aren't. Uh, as we found, we can't always get them on the office phone for sure. Uh, and they may not be where we can go knock on doors, certainly. So, um, you know, be interesting to hear from the audience. What challenges has that created for your team? And then we'll talk about how uh, some of our clients are addressing those. John, what are you seeing with uh, with some of your clients in terms of the challenges that are coming up? Yeah, you know, I think I think um, you know we've seen some of the same things for for a little while now. I think, as you mentioned, it's it's hard to know, you know, where to reach people. Uh, people are working from home, so you can't necessarily send things to their office. Um, their their personal phone numbers aren't listed. That can be hard. Um, but also, just you know, once you do connect with somebody, how do you build rapport, right? In in um, a limited period of time, it's it's not the same as walking into somebody's office and shaking their hand and having some small talk when we're in a virtual or hybrid setting. You know, often the, the parameters we're working within are um, a lot more structured and rigid, and it's just it's down to business, and uh, there's less time to make an impression. So, um, you know, th those are just a few of the things that that we've been seeing for a little while. Yeah, and you know, Alona mentioned, and and please do uh, chime into the chat if you uh, like to share some of the challenges that your team's experiencing. But you know, she mentions with brand new people and customers, they're green to the industry. So they need to be onboarded, right? So they need to go through everything they used to, they need to learn the product, the industry, the sales process, and they need to learn some unique strategies for connecting uh, with buyers given this virtual and hybrid world. And I think one of the things we're seeing is the, the signal to noise ratio has really gone up, um, or maybe it's the noise to signal ratio, but there's just a lot more, uh, you know, automated emails out there. There's a, a lot to sift through and it's really hard to get the buyer's attention. And so I think we need to be even more relevant as we address this. You know, Patty mentions uh, went from in-person to virtual and now it's blended. So yeah, we don't really know sometimes whether we're going to be having an in-person meeting or if it's virtual or how we get the attention. Uh, and Brenda mentions um, it's much more email uh, coming up with the juicy subject lines to catch attention I think that's really important, Brenda. We we have to be able to at least have them look at it, and then we better have a catchy first and second line uh, to capture their interest and and hopefully get them to continue to read. And we'll talk about some strategies that uh, you can deploy to to maybe get past that because even the subject lines sometimes aren't enough, right? Any any other thoughts on this, John? 
No, I love that last one. I mean, that's the life of a marketer, right? You got to find out how to break through the noise and get people's attention in a busy inbox um, and get creative. You know, we've seen a lot more outreach on, on LinkedIn and social media. Um, when you can find somebody's address, we've seen people, you know, sellers and marketers running more direct mail campaigns to, to try to get in front of people and then stand out, you know, going back to what used to work a long time ago. Um, but this is great. I think uh, it, it echoes what, what we're seeing and certainly what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, so I love Susan's comment here about making it fun and effective when reps can feed off each other and, you know, like a power hour, right. Or a prospecting afternoon. And we're going to talk about that. How do we share best practices? How do we create that energy, you know, doing things so that people see what's working and, and feed off the energy, as she mentions, um, during those sessions. So I, I think that can be incredibly effective and and we want to create an environment and plays that they can do they can use uh in that kind of environment right so they're not trying to come up from scratch or feel like they're on a their own island right doing it all their their own uh and then ilona mentions uh using video messaging and we're going to get into that because i think that is such a critical strategy these days but it needs to be done effectively as well all right so these are some of the things you know we've heard um one the hybrid is is here, and so I don't think there's any going back to 2019, right? What whatever that looked like, um, and in some ways, you know, maybe that's better. We can reach more customers, we can deploy different strategies, but we need to realize that uh, hybrid is going to be around, and we may not be able to meet in person, uh, or certainly in the same way that we used to. And I do think buyers are harder to reach. Um, you know, just getting through to somebody's phone these days or getting through the spam filters or getting you know through the hundreds of emails that people are getting so so I think they are harder to reach and there's more competition for their attention so because there are so many different channels and we've got social and we've got email and we've got video and you know we've got people calling uh so we we really again need to be relevant to stand out and uh, you know John maybe you could talk to the last bullet but I know you you know, you you have done some research in this area with your company, uh, and you know certainly in the industry that buyers want to be in control and they have access to more information and they're kind of in the driver's seat. You know, what else would you add to that? Oh, I mean, I think that's the crux of it, right? And we've been seeing this trend not just over the past two years, but over the past ten years, right, and and longer. Um, buyers want control over the buying process. It used to be that sellers were in the driver's seat. They controlled the narrative. They controlled the information, right? That was shared with their prospects. But prospects and buyers, I mean, they can do they can do all their research ahead of time. They, they might not even need to talk to a seller to make a, a buying decision, right? So um, sellers don't have a choice now, but to accommodate uh, that. And I think certainly since we've gone into this remote hybrid world, buyers have shown a preference for virtual selling, right? They don't, they don't want to meet in person anymore. I think it's like 82 or 85% of, mm. of buyers prefer a virtual sale as opposed to in person. So um, sellers have to meet buyers where they are. They have to be prepared um, to educate them as much as possible and, and maintain some semblance of control over the process while realizing that you know, the buyer has more tools at their disposal than ever to make a buying decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, using those tools effectively, Susan brought up in the chat as well, you know, we have tools that help with cadencing and, you know, sending outbound, but how do we personalize those? And I think that's what's really critical is we have to be hyper relevant. And, you know, that, that, that idea of hyper personalization, how do we take the generic message, but then figure out those few things to get the attention. And I, I think it becomes much more, I'd rather, you know, hunt with a, a, a rifle, a sniper rifle than with a shotgun. So if, if you have that blanket message, maybe you're making 80 calls, but if you only get a couple of connects and you don't have much to say, you're not going to be effective. If we can narrow that down and maybe we have a couple of those areas that we personalize in those scripts that makes it relevant to that individual, we take the extra couple of minutes to do that. We're going to have a much higher response rate. We'll get into that and, and how we share those practices as well as we go along. So John, maybe you could walk us through, you know, what the modern buyer's journey looks like these days uh, and how that plays into the discussion. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is broad strokes, right? But this is how that how we think about the buyer's journey as sales. And I think it's pretty accurate. You know, first people are educating themselves. And this is very likely before they have engaged with a salesperson, right? They're on your website, they're attending webinars like this one, they're downloading white papers, they're reading your blog. They're reading your emails that, that you're sending. So this is this is very marketing-driven um, section of the buyer's journey, but you need to know about it. And sales needs to be involved, right? How do we help control the message that people are seeing? How do we make sure that that they are that their journey is continuing, right? That each of these different bullets isn't cutting them off, that it's propelling them further into the funnel. That has to be a joint sales and marketing initiative. Right then, they're then they're they get into the exploration phase. They've done their education. They've made some educated decisions as to which vendors they want to work with. That's when it, that's when a seller really comes into play. Right, that's when you do your pitch. That's when you hold your meetings, your demos. When you present case studies, um, provide some references, perhaps um, answer FAQs or provide uh, provide you know a list of FAQ answers uh, to the buyer. But this is more the discovery phase, right, um, of of the modern buyer's journey. And then they whittle it down even further. They're evaluating. They're going through trials. Um, you uh, sellers uh, have to know how to handle the objections that are going to come up. This is when they're really comparing vendors head to head. So how do you push back um, against any objections your buyer might have? You have to come up with mutual plans, right? What are we going to hold the, the what are what are sellers going to hold the buyer accountable to, and what are buyers holding the uh, the seller accountable uh, accountable to? Really making the business case, building proposals, you know, going 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 through the the nitty gritty of the deal in the evaluation phase, and then, you know, at the end of the day, what what the experience of of your brand is important too, and that's that's not just handling objections, but that's showing. Hey, if you if you become a customer, um, this is what a success plan looks like, right? This is how we're going to train your reps. This is what good looks like. Um, this is how we're going to uh, going to build you into our into our community, invite you into our community, and make you feel like a valued member of that community. Um, you know, customer events um, are important for when when you bring people on, and you want to make them feel valued and and make that make them feel like they've made the right decision, and then. You know, then you get to the expansion phase or 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 to an exit. Um, listen, there's so much on this slide, and there's so many different points that we can go through, and different types of content that you need to be aware of. But you want to think about every single phase of the buyer's journey, especially in a hybrid world of how do I provide the best value at the right time, right? Make sure you're not sharing too much too much too soon, or make sure you're not waiting to share until the very end. You have to really think about the journey in these phases and make sure that the content is bite-sized, make sure it's digestible, make sure it's engaging, right? People don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of patience anymore. I don't know if people ever had, buyers ever had patience, but they definitely don't now. Um, so you got to think about not just the types of content, but how you're delivering that content. And we're going to talk more about that as we go on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really important about understanding the buyer's journey is often we get so caught up in our sales process, right? We're going to do our discovery and then we're going to do our demo and then we're going to put a proposal together or proof of concept. But thinking about where the customer is in their journey and aligning appropriately. And then for this discussion, providing the resources to the sales team that they need at the appropriate point and to be able to support that customer. So we're not trying to force, oh, no, we're at this stage, so we're doing these things. But but really supporting the customer in their exploration or in their evaluation or, you know, understanding the experience that it's, it's going to be to work with you. That's right. Uh, and, and, you know, I think having that idea of, of a hub or portal where they can go and reference the appropriate materials uh, is super valuable. And we'll get to that. So, you know, one of the things we want to, um, I guess, just put out there is getting a playbook that incorporates the ideas we're going to be talking about and really answers the question, what do the reps need to know to engage with the buyers? Again, this is specific to prospecting, but we'll talk about, you know, then that obviously pulls through to the rest of the sales cycle. But we really want to kind of think of the who, what, uh, where is it going to be and, and how do we want them to engage? So let's think about that first, the who, and, you know, this is the, the fundamentals, the basics, but understanding ICP, right, ideal client profile understanding who they're going after, what the pain of that ICP likely looks like, and then doing our research so we can bring insights to that individual. So I think oftentimes we put out these campaigns and we're just going wide and broad, but we're not really narrowing it into, well, what does the ideal client for us look like? 
And how do we get inside their head, understand their persona, and really tailor the messaging appropriately uh, to that individual and, and to that company? So, you know, I think any playbook really needs to look at who, who we're targeting first, and then what are we doing to engage? So what are the triggers that may be going on? You know, are they growing? Are they expanding? Are they acquiring? Uh, maybe they miss their numbers and we can, you know, that triggers some type of strategy we could put in place. Um, maybe they're expanding geographically. And so we can share a story about a client where we help with uh, that type of uh, uh, of an expansion. So we really want to be looking at what the triggers are, what's going on in the account and what strategies we can employ that might get their attention because we want to pique their interest. And then how are we actually going to do that? So this is where we get into the tools the content, the scripts that we might have, and what are the specific plays? So if we hear this, we're going to run a certain play. We, we have an offering, we have a white paper, we have a, a demo or a discussion. So what are we actually going to do based on that? And then finally, I'd love to get your comments on this. You know, where do you access that information? So where can the rep go uh, to find the resources, the references, and to be able to replicate so that after they're trained, they're not running around going, well, wait a minute, what was that supposed to look like? But, uh, you know, they have some home and some resource hub that they can reference. So the who, the what, the how, and where are you going to go? If we can lay that out and make it pretty clear, I think it actually informs our training and it informs our implementation. What else would you add to this, John? Yeah, I mean, these are these are the big categories, right? And I think um, if you look at these just on the slide, it's like, yeah, I mean, this all makes sense. Who wouldn't do this? But I think the problem is too too much of the time, um, you know, there's not enough thought given to each of these components, or it's a little bit haphazard, or you know, you dump too much too much training on all your reps at one time, and you do nothing to reinforce it, right? Like you're saying, and then yeah. they don't retain the knowledge. Uh, you could talk all day about the forgetting curve and how quickly people forget forget what they learned, right? Well, we won't. Don't worry. Um, and um, and uh, and people don't think about access. This last point is so important. Reps need to know not just the who, the what, and the how, but when they need it in the flow of their work. Right. So right before they go on a pitch, right before they send a a prospecting email, they need to know where to find the information that they need to be successful. Remember, we have that content that maps to every stage of the buyer journey. They need to know where to find that content, right, and how to personalize it and who it's for. Right. Um, so if they don't have that, they're going to be scrambling to find it or they're not going to use it, period. Right. They're going to just say, hey, I'm going to wing it. You know, I'm going to create my own content or I'm not I'm not going to care about any of the tools or scripts or plays that you, that you gave me because I don't know where they are. And when sellers go off script, sometimes that's a dangerous game. Right. So we, we want to maintain control and we want sellers to feel like they are fully supported um, with this playbook. No, and it's critical, and we'll show a little bit about what that looks like in saleshood. But I think what one of the important takeaways is there can't be a disconnect between training and then kind of the the field enablement, right, or the support. And I think oftentimes that happens. We go through this training or onboarding program, and it's like, okay, now go do it. And sometimes there isn't even a connection to what the training was, or or it looks different when you actually get out in the real world, right? You get out in the trenches versus leveraging those resources as part of the training and saying, okay, well, here's what you need at this point in time, and it's accessible. And I think it's actually an exciting area within sales enablement of providing that just-in-time support for the reps so that they know where to go and they can leverage that and we can incorporate it into the training. So John, maybe you could talk about you know, what those components look like in saleshood as an example and you know how we can support the reps in that in that case. Yeah. And I, I apologize to Ray as we were going through this for the gigantic saleshood logo in the middle and not being trying to be overly promotional, right? But it's it's interesting because because when you think about enablement, often you're just thinking about one of these four categories in the wheel in the middle, right? You're thinking about learning, or you're thinking about coaching, or you're thinking about guided selling, or you're thinking about content sharing and content management. You've got to bring them all together in order to provide a comprehensive experience for your sellers and to create and support your playbook. Of course, you need to be thinking about learning. How are you deploying learning to your reps? How are you ensuring that they're actually certified in what they need to know? How are they practicing their pitches? Um, 
you know, just your, your, your traditional learning, learning paths. Um, but then you need to add coaching to that you need to be able to review what the rep learned, review their pitch, provide feedback on their pitch. Um, and if your le- learning platform is connected to your coaching platform, that makes that job a lot easier. Um, the same thing when we start talking about content, okay, your rep has learned, they've been coached, they're going out to the field. And like we just said, maybe they don't know where to find anything. So they don't share that they, they don't use the content that's been made available to them. Make sure that your sales enablement platform or strategy at the very least is connected to your learning and your coaching platform. So um, so you can have content that's stored in that platform that is, for instance, um, mapped to a deal stage, right? So so everybody who is every prospect who's a stage one opportunity, for instance, um, you can see who that is and you can see what content maps <coughs> to that to that stage in the sales cycle. And the seller can know what content they should be sending um, to try to get in front of that prospect or tr- try to drive that prospect forward in, in the cycle. And then once they, once they share that content, we move into the content sharing and content management side um, of the wheel here. That's when you start understanding, okay, um, I know what content to share. Here's how I'm going to share it. And we're, I, I want to, I want to save a little bit. I'm going to keep you in suspense a little bit because we're going to talk about how do you actually share content effectively a little bit later in the presentation. But think about how am I sharing this content with with um, with a prospect and what's the impact that it's having on the deal. Um, you know, you're not just throwing PDFs out out into the wind and, and hoping that they're read, but you need to understand: is this actually being leveraged? Is it being used? Is it being appreciated? In the sales cycle, you need all of these different components um, to support everything we were talking about on the previous slide, and you need to be thinking about them in an integrated way, not in silos. So that's a shift. I think that's a shift really that's really taken place over the past year, um, even in sales enablement um, about bringing all these categories together. And again, it's one of those things where you look at this slide and it makes total sense, but it's not how we've been doing it, and we so we need to adjust our thinking a little bit. Yeah, no, and I think it's, I mean, we, we could really put the rep in the middle, right? It's like, we really want to focus on them and, and their needs. And and that is the whole concept from initially learning, getting the support. You know, if we can, if we have some uh, AI tools or some guided selling, you know, some things that are helping instruct them at the point of the need, and then having the content available to share with each other. There was a question that came up from John and he asked about, you know, salespeople are hyper, so it, it like, you know, getting to, they're moving quickly. Maybe they're not uh, stopping to really analyze, right? And he says, how, how do you get them to look at the data or, you know, maybe lean into some of these areas uh, that we're talking about? And I think the point is we have to make it very relevant to the rep and very functional. And I think that is part of the problem with some of the tools that are trying to overly either automate or provide a bunch of analytics is it's just overwhelming. They don't know what to do with it. That's right. And so the point, maybe you could talk a little bit more about the guided selling, but I think we need to make it specific to them at their point of need and say, oh, here's a suggestion that you can use, but not expect them to go dig into the data or have every rep be their own, you know, sales enablement analyst. It's just not going to happen, right? Yeah, that that's that's exactly it. I don't think it's that reps don't want data. I think it's that they don't want to go look for the data. Right, they don't want to go try to interpret the data themselves necessarily. So, if you're going to incorporate data into your selling process, um, or you're going to try to surface, you know, recommended next steps, you have to bake it in to their selling process, right? In the flow of work, um, something I've said, you know, countless times over the past couple of years since I've been in this space. Um, if you deliver information to reps in the flow of their natural day right? So that you're not taking them out of their rhythm. You're not taking them out of the field, so to speak, but you're delivering it to them in a single platform in a, in a, in a way that makes sense to them. They will use that information. They want to improve. I get to meet a sales rep who doesn't want to improve, right? They are motivated by performance um, unless they're lazy, in which case, you know, cut them loose, right? Like it's, um, you know, you, there are high performers and low performers, but um, generally speaking, reps want to improve and they want to win. So you just need to deliver the information to them in a way that matches the way that they sell. And that's part of what this wheel is trying to signify, right? This is, it's all contained within the same workflow and therefore it is easier for the reps to digest and to implement at any given time. Um, so it's, it's about removing friction from the process and it's about showing the value to the reps. A lot of what we talk about at saleshood is, um, is replicating what good looks like, right? So being able to 
you know, share a video during your training process of a seller, one of your top performers delivering a pitch really well, right? And allowing allowing their peers to comment on that video. And we're going to talk more about peer learning, I know. But just just being able to to show that example of what good looks like gives gives other reps a target to strive for, right? And um, and motivates them to perform. So, um, you know, I think just simple things like that um, get reps more engaged in the process and more willing um, to follow the process if it's if it's given to them in a really clean way. Oh, that's great. So, with that as a backdrop, I mean, so we've talked about you know kind of the components, uh, how to put the uh, a playbook together, and then uh, let's get into the idea of you know training that the actual rollout and support. Uh, once we've identified what those components look like, because, you know, I think it's important that we're paying attention to the individual learner and, you know, to the extent that we can't have necessarily a one-to-one personalized plan, but we can at least understand what is that role need? What is the typical path that they need to go through? And then roll the training out again, not as an event, but as a spaced learning over time so that they're able to get it, apply it, collaborate, and continue to support it. And it's it's an ongoing or should be an ongoing experience. So we'll talk about reinforcement and coaching uh, throughout as well. I guess, what else would you add to this, John, in terms of you know how you actually support the, the training rollout? Yeah, I mean, again, Bullets covered it nicely. You covered it nicely. I, I I definitely gravitate towards the persona-based learning paths. I think too often training is is rolled out as a one-size-fits-all for everybody, right? Everybody in the organization. But the reality is, um, you know, SDRs need different training than account executives, and account executives um, for mid-market need different training than enterprise. AEs, right? And uh, CS reps or account managers need slightly different training than everybody else. So again, you don't have to create individualized learning paths, but create persona-based learning paths. Um, and uh, I think I think you'll find that the impact is, is a lot greater because people realize that this, this learning is tailored to them. Um, and couldn't agree, agree, agree more with the need for reinforcement. We don't need to belabor the point, but like, if you're not reinforcing the training, you're not actually training in my opinion. So, so make sure that you're doing everything you can on an ongoing basis to support what was learned, um, reinforce skills, um, coach as much as you can. I know managers struggle sometimes to find the time to coach, use the tools that are available to you as, as a manager to, to provide as much coaching as possible. Cause otherwise your reps are going to feel unsupported. They're not going to perform as well. Um, and eventually that's going to lead to churn. Right. So um, that's, I found that everywhere I've been, if, if your reps aren't coached and aren't mentored on a regular basis, um, performance eventually uh, sags, right? And um, this idea of peer-to-peer learning of, of um, I, I think a peer-to-peer learning in two ways. One, I think it's, it's actually, um, you're taking some of the weight off of the trainer's shoulders, right? Off of the manager's shoulders. I think so often we think of training as this top-down initiative, must be controlled by sales leadership, must be controlled by sales enablement, and nobody else has a say in it. I think when you democratize training and enablement, we actually say, hey, we want everybody in sales, sales, we want every seller, every SDR to collaborate with one another, to watch each other's pitches and provide feedback. Um, all of a sudden, it's not all on the trainer to train, right? Reps can point out things that they like or don't like, strengths and weaknesses. Um, they can share ideas. They're the ones who are in the field, right? They, um, they're the ones who, who, who tend to know what works and what doesn't. So that feedback is really important. So that's, that's one component of peer-to-peer learning. And the other is that salespeople trust each other. Right? They trust each other. They're in the field together. They're the ones on the front lines of any organization. They're getting beaten up every single day, rejected every single day, um, and having success most days. Right? right? So they trust each other, and they they trust what each other has to has to say, and they'll learn from each other really well. So that can actually make them more engaged in the learning process if you allow them to participate. Well, I think that's spot on and and seeing it come to life where they're like, oh, that's how they did it. You know, that's how I just had that problem versus a, a can scenario or case study that you know was written 10 years ago and they're trying to figure out how it's relevant. Uh, I, I think it really works into an overall strategy. And I mean, this is the way we think of this idea of a, what we've coined as the CLX, the collaborative learning experience, which is, you know, still the core components of blended learning. But when you can take that, so say micro learning, you know, three to five minute short videos, we're, we're discussing 
a key concept or topic, we can add that customized content. So we've incorporated something we call voice of the seller videos. So we'll go out and interview top sellers about specific content. So in addition to the formal micro learning, they're getting these little bite-sized nuggets of talking about how to apply a skill. And then we ask them to go out and apply it. So whether it's a mission or kind of an assignment, okay, go build your prospecting script or create a prospecting video and share it with your peers. And now they can see that and they can actually comment and socialize and start to discuss that. And so in the collaboration aspect, both in live sessions, so we do um, live intermittent, what we call ARC, application reinforcement and coaching. Say, okay, you've applied it, let's get together and talk about how that went. Let's hear from each other about how it went and let's go go out and practice some more. And then they have the tools and the resources uh, you know, available, whether that's through a sales hub or, or within a training platform uh, that they can refer back to. And then ultimately there's, there's some progress along the way. So we love the idea of with, when they're getting points and, and kind of progress towards a completion. Now we know what completion looks like. And with salespeople, I, I can tell you from a lot of experience, um, the competition kicks in and they want to be there and they want to look at their leaderboard and they want to see how they're progressing. And so however you're doing that, it creates a more focus versus even, and as a facilitator, you know, for years and years in the classroom, you often don't know who's really leaning in and not. You may only have 15 minutes for an exercise. A few people speak up and then you're on to the next topic. Well, guess what? Here you have the evidence. Did they complete it? Did they contribute and participate with each other? And who's actually getting a lot of likes and comments? And is there an example you want to share because it's really a best practice? So now that creates that social learning aspect. And I think that's really critical. Totally agree. Yeah, I, I love this. You know, it, it takes into account all of the fundamentals of, of what not just good training for a hybrid prospecting looks like, but good training and just period looks like it's. It's it's not about the big data dump. It's not about you know one size fits all or just in case learning. It's about bite sized content, testing testing the learning, collaborating around the learning, uh, and making sure that people have access to the tools and and can see and celebrate success. Right, that means so much to all of us, I think, but particularly particularly to sellers. They want to be recognized, right? They want to they they want to be rewarded for success and. Um, being able to see progress and visualize prospect and say, you know, this is who's really strong. This is who needs needs work. Um, and hey, here's here's a badge for for doing a good job. Like that means something. So this is great. Right. Well, I think it really is the the focus on what do they what do they need to know? What do they have to do? And how do they apply that? And you know, this is just some of the feedback we've gotten. But you know, thinking about uh, we had the chance to learn from each other. We talked about what worked and what didn't work and get feedback from each other and apply it, right? So it, it based on the activities we would have to do with customers, we would apply it and come back. And, you know, we love the stories and we're hearing them uh, every day about, hey, I applied this and it actually helped me close this deal during the training, right? And, and that's what you really want is not, oh, that let's see six months from now if it made a difference, but if the program's spread out over six or eight weeks, they're going through intermittently, they're applying it and coming back and saying, yeah, I actually got a meeting and now I have an opportunity and now I'm advancing that. So uh, again, applying it in the flow of work, I think is is really important. And you know, we, we talked about uh, some of the motivation around it. We, we like to use uh, Credly as, as a way of providing an actual badge then or completion to say, well, you completed these missions, you partic- participate in the exercises, and at the end of the day, you received this badge and they can share that on their LinkedIn, et cetera. And um, you know, that's really helped with this was from a uh, initial group we ran through over 80% completion rate for digital learning, which is you know exceptional for people who also have day jobs, right? And are, are going through other activities. So providing some way of knowing that they've they've done the work and they've they've applied it in real life. Yeah. And that's important, especially, you know, in this in this hybrid, virtual, digitally driven world, sellers want to put this type of badge on their on their profiles, right? So they can prospects can can see it. You know, this is this is a credible person. Um, their peers can see it. Um, you know that this is this is something that they've accomplished. It's it's. I don't know when I first heard about badging way back when I was like, this is kind of silly. I don't really 
I don't really care right. about don't you know, a made up badge, but people care. They really do. We do so much badging at Saleshood. We've got a ton of options within the platform and um, it gets used every single day and people eat it up. It, may, it really does make a difference. So it's cool. It's very cool. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the practical application. You, you talked about customizing and tailoring it to personas and, you know, what that might look like for a real application. I want to bring this back to, we, we uh, kicked this off saying, prospecting is harder, it's challenging. We know there are different techniques we can use. Video is one of them. So maybe you could walk us through what that looks like, you know, in the real life here, uh, well, uh, about applying a skill, like maybe creating a video practice or, uh, yeah. you know, engaging that way. Yeah, really just a quick visualization of what we just talked about could look like. Yeah, specifically the learning paths, you know, in, in Saleshood, um, we have what we call huddles. Um, but you can see this is this is a learning course, right? You can you can populate it with with a lot of different things. Um, if you look at look at the diagram on the, or uh, the screenshot on the left, you can see different module types that you can put into your path. But yeah, you can start things off with a training video and then do a knowledge check based on that video and have the team complete an exercise and have them rec record a pitch and so on and so forth. And you can personalize these huddles. You can personalize learning paths um, based on based on the people who are going through. So you can have you can have a path, like I said, for SDRs, for AEs, for customer success, for account management. Um, and each one can have a slightly different track um, that they are going through. But you want something that's really easy to create. I think that's part of part of why we, we don't customize learning a lot is because it's hard to it's hard to do it. It's hard to customize it. Um, so you know, we've worked really hard, you know, at Salesforce to make sure that that um, managers can can very easily create different paths for different people based on different scenarios, um, and that it's as templated as possible, right? So this is it's, it's just about making this easier, right? Making it a little bit uh, more frictionless um, as as you create these paths, and it can be really powerful. And on the right side, we look at video practice and, and peer feedback. What could that look like? Again, I'm, I'm using Saleshood as an example because I think it's a really good one, right? You can have a, a rep um, record themselves. Uh, giving, doing a pitch, you know, doing some pitch practice, and then their managers and their peers can come in and they can provide feedback and provide scoring on different different uh, components of the pitch, um, and 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 those those scores can be tallied into an aggregate like like you're seeing in the shot. And um, mm -hmm. is that scary? Yeah, it's a little bit scary, you know, to have people have um, you know, so many people people have access to your pitch. And within our system, you can control you can control who sees it, so it's not. You know, it's not a free fall if, if you don't, don't want it to be, but it just exemplifies the fact that training is more powerful if it is shared, right? If, if it's a shared experience and people are going through it together and they can see their peers work and they can reflect on, on each other's work. Um, and, and we just, we, we want to give, give teams the power to do that in a really clean, easy and engaging way. Um, so again, you don't, don't have to do it exactly this way, but I think it's always good to, under, to understand what, what. Uh, what this type of implementation could look like. Absolutely. And yeah, being able to track that and you have access and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the manager's role in coaching, but the fact that the manager can come in and then check in and see how their team's doing and see some of the examples and provide feedback without, you know, maybe they're not able to go out and ride along like they used to, or they can't listen in as many calls as they'd like, but they can see how they're doing even in an onboarding scenario you know, getting getting engaged early on to see how they're coming up to speed. And then, you know, we'll talk about how how we actually apply that uh, after they've been trained. But uh, let me make sure we're back here. Yeah, um, that uh, so we've kind of identified what's important and created the playbook. We've talked about how, how we train and some of the things we can do to create that collaborative and peer-to-peer -peer learning environment. And now we want to apply it in the real world, right? And keep the training alive. And I, I think that's the really critical piece is it, it obviously can't stop, you know, with the training uh, efforts. And so we want to bring it into the field and see how it's being applied. So delivering the, the process to continue to build relationships and trust. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about video, but video and asynchronous, what are we doing to engage differently given this challenging prospecting world uh, and having access to the content and being able to uh, share that. And we'll talk more about outcomes and measurements, but I just wanted to share a, a few thoughts on the idea of video and prospecting because it's certainly gotten a lot of attention. I think people are trying it. Maybe they're getting frustrated. I think we need to, again, to be really relevant 
and purposeful about how we're using video. And I mean, we we provide a selling to key executives program where we talk about using video. And one of the challenges is there's research that suggests using video for the very first outreach doesn't actually have incredibly high success rate with a key executive. They don't know who you are. They get a lot of those are like, oh, this is kind of hokey. If you've warmed them up, maybe through a social channel, you've engaged on LinkedIn, maybe they've gotten a couple of emails, they know who you are, they're much more likely to say, oh, I'll, I'll listen to John or I'll watch John's video. And you know, some of the research is so compelling then about if they use video and they're using that to uh, in their outbound they're actually, they are going to get a much higher response rate. Um, so sometimes up to three times as, as high and even using it in the proposal process. Um, Proposify did this study and said that it was 45%, 41% higher close rates if you're using video, not in the initial meeting necessarily, but to amplify a proposal and saying, John, I just wanted to recap the high points of this proposal. And now that's very tailored and personalized to you. And so this goes beyond prospecting, obviously, but it's just how valuable that can be and having platforms that can support the use of that. And, you know, the asynchronous video, as Forrester points out, is going to be a, a critical part. It's going to become table stakes. It's one of those key skills. And we really need to start to get our arms around how to uh, how to use that more effectively. What else would you add to this, John? Yeah, I mean, let, let's just keep talking about video for a second because it is it is so critical um, because we're now in this, you know, kind of mashup of a hybrid, you know, professional community. And, you know, so, so we're in so many different situations. Um, the opportunity um, to get FaceTime with a prospect is is so limited and often not available at all. Um, and emails are great. Emails are tried and true. They're not going anywhere. LinkedIn connects, same deal. But the more you can strategically use recorded video in your outreach, the better off you're going to be, because that is an opportunity to put a face to a name, to put a face to an idea. I know that, listen, I'm, I'm in marketing. I have vendors reaching out to me every single day. And um, the ones that get my attention are the ones, yeah, that personalize their outreach and make sure make it clear they actually research my business. You know, that's always a good start. Yep. But the second is like if they do throw in a video that just goes a little bit deeper and shows that they they made that video just for me, right? And that they again they've done their homework, they know who I am, they know someone who they're talking to. Um, that's powerful. And seeing that person, seeing them speak, seeing them show emotion. Um, it takes some of the robotic nature of, of virtual and hybrid selling out, out of the equation. And it starts to break me down as a buyer, right? Make me more receptive to speaking to somebody because I don't mind speaking to people. I just don't have a lot of time, right? So that's why the asynchronous nature of video, of recorded video is so critical, critical because none of us have time, right? We're all, we're all busy. Decision makers in particular, in particular are very busy. Um, they don't necessarily have time for a, even a 15 minute meeting, but they might have time at the end of the day, as they're closing out their emails, or maybe even after dinner, as you know they're, they're prepping for the next day, they might take the time to watch a 30 second video um, and say, instead of deleting it, they, they might actually follow up on it. Um, but it, you have to give them the flexibility to give them the control, right? Going back to the very beginning of this presentation, give them the control over their experience while injecting your own personality into that experience that's the real power of, of asynchronous video. And um, you know, as far as I know we're going to talk about tracking content sharing and, and correlating activity to outcomes. So you know we can go into that on, on, on the next slides, but you know sellers and, and, and trainers and enablement professionals should not just be thinking about how to deploy learning in the field, but how do you track the effective, effectiveness of it? It was the training right, right? Was the content that you created? effective. Um, very often we're not tracking that or, or we're only tracking it at an anecdotal level or a lot later, you know, once deals have either closed or not, we can say, oh, well, I guess maybe that case study or that deck wasn't very good. Let's go back and try to revamp it without any data behind it. But there are tools now that, that can help us track that. And we can also track, you know, did, did learning activity correlate to business outcomes? Was, was seller engagement in, in learning programming uh, effective in terms of revenue outcomes? So, um, you know, uh, this obviously comes after prospecting, right? But nothing actually, nothing actually comes after prospecting because we're always prospecting. We're all, we should always be trying to improve. So we can be using data from deals that have already been won or lost to influence the next round of prospecting that we go through. 
Absolutely. And one of the reasons I love prospecting as a as a training and focus area is it is fairly easy to measure the initial results. Like, are we booking more meetings with the right ICP clients or not? And, you know, that's a function of activity and skill. So do we have the right skills and are we making an effort? And if we pull those both of those levers, we should get more meetings. And if not, then we have something going on. But, you know, you mentioned something about the sharing the videos. It also allows us then to track. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about how saleshood approaches that. There's certainly a, a number of other just pure outbound video uh, tools that you can leverage, but most of them give you the opportunity to track the engagement and who's clicked on it and have they forwarded it and, you know, what's going on then once it's inside the firewall, so to speak. And, and that can be really enlightening. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, how we bring in some of those other digital assets and this idea of a digital sales room, how, how that pulls it together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet, uh, I bet that there are a bunch of folks in the call who have started hearing more about digital sales rooms. It's a fairly hot topic at, um, at saleshood. We call them buyer, buyer sites, but it's exactly the same concept, but as part of the digital buying experience, I think one point of friction has always been, the organization of content right, and the sharing of content. Up until now, we've primarily just been doing that via email, right? Being just long email threads where you're searching for an attachment. I know that I've got email email conversations with the vendors where I have to search through multiple email threads, um, you know, look for the little paper clip, find see if it's the right attachment that I'm looking for to find a deck or a case study or a proposal. It's it, you know, it works, but it, there, there's friction there. It can be frustrating. So what we've started to do, and, and what we part of what we offer at Saleshood too, is is this digital sales room experience where a seller can create a centralized buying, per, centralized and personalized buying experience for their prospects. Um, so you can you can utilize this at a lot of different stages in the sales cycle. But if if I'm prospecting, I can create a digital sales room for a prospect, and I can record a video of myself saying, "Hi, here's who I am." Um, I'm sharing some content with you today. I'm sharing um, a recorded webinar that we have on this topic that I think you'd be really interested in, or I'm sharing a customer case study that I think is really applicable to your situation. Um, and I'd love to chat about how we can apply these scenarios to, to your own, own situation and, and discuss, discuss what you need to be successful. Um, and you can keep this room going throughout the entire sales process. Um, so as you're submitting proposals, as you're submitting new decks, as you're bringing, bringing new people into the sales cycle, you can keep all the content, all the relevant content in one spot that the seller, that the buyer and the seller can go back to time and time again. <coughs> and the nice thing about this is that for the buyer, it makes them feel in control of the process, right? They have all the information they need in one place. And as a seller, I have control over what goes into this experience. And I can also see how often people are interacting with it. So I can get a sense of which accounts are engaged and which ones might need, need a nudge as well. So um, I, I love this. I love this idea in general because I think it's a helpful idea for everybody involved. And I think it, it again, it, it takes the virtual selling experience to the, to the next level um, where you are crafting micro personalized experiences for buyers, which correlates nicely to what we've been talking about in terms of creating more personalized micro learning experiences for sellers. We're helping everybody get the information that they need um, in a much more intuitive and engaging way. Right. Yeah. How often do we get the email, you know, six weeks later, say, hey, can you send that me send that proposal to me again? Or or where, what did we talk about, you know, in that other presentation? Uh, and again, here you have that in a nicely organized way and you can see what the engagement is. And, you know, as we know, an engaged buyer is more likely to buy. So if they're going back there, if they're sharing, if they're uh, multiple people hitting that site, we know that the you know our chances of closing actually go go up. So we want to provide that information to keep them you know coming back and keep them engaged there. That's right. That's right. Well, let's talk about you know some of the the data behind this. We want to say okay, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't produce results, but how do we look at this in terms of what the data is doing and you know what the outcome uh, outcomes look like? Yeah, and you know these next two slides are, are um, pretty quick, so I know I know we're. Uh... We're getting close to the, to the top of the hour, so I'll, I'll be fast. But it's just good to think about, again, the impact that that your content is having on a deal and, and that your learning activities are having on a, on a deal. So this is a simple chart. Again, com comes from our platform. But you, can, you can think about it however you want. This just shows like how, how many times a file was shared right, and accessed. And how does that correlate to the revenue that was generated from the deals that that piece of content was associated? 
associated with. Right? It's a, it's a way that to look. It's an intuitive way to look at content data that we didn't really have available to us before, or we were just sort of um, reacting based on our guts. This shows us that you know, <clears throat> some content that's shared a lot results. Uh, results in, in higher revenue. Some content that's shared a lot doesn't doesn't quite work. And then then there there are the pieces in between. But you can make decisions based off of this. You can say, okay, we need more content like this highest performing one, um, or or you know what, we can scrap these ones in the lower left hand corner that just they're not being used and they're not generating revenue, right? So it's another way to make decisions. And uh, and on this slide, same deal. It's it's showing similar things. It's just showing this is showing your average learning path completion percentage. So this is actually showing um, each dot is is a sales rep, and it's showing did they complete all of their learning path or did they complete thirty five percent of their learning path? And then oh, how much how much revenue, how much pipeline um, did did they generate? Um, during any period of time. So you can see in the upper right-hand corner, that's your high performer, completed 98% of training and generated the, uh, one of the highest amounts of revenue. And then your low performer is in that lower left, right? So again, it's it's just, it's correlating um, correlating actions um, to to uh, to real, real revenue outcomes, which at the end of the day helps everybody make better decisions. Right, no, it's great to be able to see the analytics then that uh, that you could pull out once you're able to track that kind of information. So I know we've covered a lot of ground. We're coming up on the top of the hour here, but we wanted to do is at least just lay the framework that prospecting is different. And, you know, there are lots of tools and technology and different things we can do, uh, but we need reps to think about engaging differently. And the strategies that we've discussed are really having that playbook that really answers the, well, who are we going after? And how, how are we going to engage with them? And what are we going to actually say? Where do I go for that information, right? So, so have we packaged that in a way that then we can train? And we talked about training collaboratively, sharing the experiences, having you know, tools that they can actually see what good looks like and, and learn from each other. And then supporting that through uh, a place where they can go and get the information they need to support their client in their buyer journey, as you talked about at the different stages and being able to reinforce and support. So what, what else would you add to this, John, just to, to wrap us up here? No, I mean, I think we, we covered a lot of ground. I always, you know, and pretty much every webinar I do, we, I do, we, we cover a ton of territory. People are always like, well, I can't possibly tackle this all today. Um, you don't have to, right? We're just trying to influence how you're thinking about prospecting and about the, really about the entire sales cycle in general. But um, I think everybody is aware that selling and prospecting has fundamentally changed. There's not a one-size-fits-all solution to it. We just need to think about how do we give buyers the control that they need throughout their virtual buying process, but still have, have sellers maintain strong engagement and strong, strong control themselves throughout the process. How do, we, how, how do we enable sellers to learn better to accommodate this more complex landscape? That's what we're really getting to uh, when, when you sort of whittle through everything that we've said. We're just trying to help sellers succeed, um, and and uh, there's no question that that the buying and selling landscape has become more complex over the past two years. So um, we're here to help. Um, and and Ray, um, what what a pleasure presenting with you as always. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into peak performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast.